Welcome to The Healthcare Hangover. I'm one of your hosts, David Contorno. And I'm your other host, Emma Fox. This is a podcast about the headaches we've been encountering in the healthcare system that are leaving us feeling a little hungover. Let's dive in. All right. Welcome back. Here we go again. I feel like we have a lot to cover in our next few episodes. Like I, I was feeling like we were having a little bit of a drought and then all of a sudden there's so much corruption. I don't even know where to start. I know. At least we have a bevy of topics for our next few podcasts. Yeah. Where do you want to take it today? Well, I think the the recent lawsuit of the Kraft Heinz company, a massive food uh, company, um, suing Aetna, uh, their insurance company. I think uh, there's a lot to unpack in that. Are they suing Aetna or are they suing uh, Willis Towers Watson or both? Disappointingly, Willis Towers Watson is mentioned in the complaint, but they are neither the defendant nor the plaintiff. But it seems to oh, me like they had some on. culpability in it based on what I read in the in the in the allegations. That's really disappointing. Yeah. I how don't are how they, they getting off scot-free? I don't know, because one of the things it says in the lawsuit was that Willis Tower Watson was getting the exact data that Kraft was looking for on a regular basis, but apparently they refused to turn it over as well. Huh. Okay. But what do you do you think anything's gonna actually come of it? Like what what are they what are they suing for exactly? And what do you think is actually going to be the realistic outcome? Well, they're suing because they're saying that Aetna did not act in a fiduciary capacity. And maybe that's why they couldn't sue Willis Towers Watson, because there's no way to claim that they should be a fiduciary, even though they should be a fiduciary, just like your association is trying to do. But um, but maybe that's why. But they, they considered Aetna to be a fiduciary under ERISA, and it's their failure to do what a fiduciary is supposed to do, which... If you think about it on the 401k side, which by the way, the same exact law, not a, not a similar law, but the same law applies. Every decision that's made in a company's 401k must be for the benefit of the participants. And you must not allow the employer or other participants to abuse the plan because when the plan gets abused, all participants get abused. And I would argue <clears throat> that health plans have been abusing all participants for years and years. And every plan that I see that has a traditional PPO network in it. And so they're basically claiming here that uh, Aetna engaged in fraud or concealment to prevent and interfere with Kraft Heinz's efforts to investigate and understand Aetna's conduct. So basically, they were looking for a big claim stump so that they could see what was being billed, what was being allowed. Was it in, in, in line with the terms that they're supposed to be? Are they spending money that they shouldn't be? And they were blocked from doing that. And that's where the lawsuit comes from. Uh, what do you think is actually going to happen, though? Because I feel like, you know, our industry gets excited because we see these things happening and we think, finally, accountability. But then they just kind of fizzle out. And I have yet to see any carrier or any health plan face any serious set of circumstances, regardless of the lawsuit. Now, I know that Heinz is a much bigger organization, right? So maybe they have a little bit more clout, but realistically, is this actually going to change anything? You know, there's a lot of variables in that. At the end of the day, I think it comes down to two main factors. Who is driving this at Kraft Heinz? How much do they really know about what's going on? And what is their motivation in doing it? If their motivation is just to get money back, then it's not going to do anything because Aetna is going to be really happy to cut them a check long before this goes to trial. But if they're looking to make an example, if they're looking to, to be the face of other employers, mostly smaller employers who are struggling even more with this than they are, who don't have the sophistication to understand they're getting screwed, nor the resources to do anything about it, even if they did, then we have a shot. 
that means they have to push it all the way and not settle though. It means they have to put in hundreds of thousands of dollars into legal fees with no promise of getting anything back. But again, it depends on what their motivation is. If it's to make a statement, then I think we're in, we're in, in a good place. But if it's just to get some money back, they're going to cut them a check. Well, let's run through this though, because I feel like this is a multi-layer problem and conversation because most of the lawsuit, as you pointed out, centers around Aetna having a responsibility to be a fiduciary or act as a fiduciary for their clients, even though this client is self-funded, but they still process the claims and it's their responsibility to prevent uh, fraudulent claims, right? But I was talking to someone the other day, I had a meeting with a gentleman who's a former payment integrity analyst and has worked with all of the bukas. And he and I were just having a quick intro conversation. And I was asking him, you know, tell me about what you used to do and who you used to do it for. So what didn't surprise me because I've seen this happen myself from my carrier days, but what people might not know is that carriers do look for improper claims and they do identify fraudulent, wasteful, or inaccurate claims. But get this, if in your self-funded plan, a carrier goes out and finds that a claim was overpaid or shouldn't have been paid, what do you think happens when they discover that? What do you think the average person thinks happens when they discover that? They probably think the plan gets the money back. But they maybe, don't. Maybe the patients do. They don't. You know what happens is they, they pay themselves a finder's fee for finding the error that they <laughs> missed. And then they only give the employer a portion of what they recover and they keep the rest for themselves. This, and I want to point out, this is a self-funded employer. Is that, that not just theft? So that's if they get any money back at all, because I'll talk about another lawsuit in a second. But mm -hmm. think about this. These employers that use these carriers for third-party administrators for their self-funded plans are paying them an administration fee. And the clear expectation is that they're going to administer the plan according mm -hmm. to the financial contracts and the plan provisions, right? That's the, that's the inherent understanding. But think about what happens when they allow an overpayment out. First of all, the plan's self-funded, right? So it doesn't affect the finances of the carrier at all. But it sets up the possibility for them getting more money by quote unquote finding that money and then keeping a piece of what they found that they shouldn't have allowed the plan to pay to begin with. So it's another incentive of which we've already spoken about many in just the few podcasts we've done, but and and we'll speak about many more. But there is huge incentives for fraud, fraud waste and abuse to incur, especially in hospital claims. Because we, we, we laid out the one, right? If they find it, they keep a piece of it or all of it sometimes. But it's more than that. What a lot of people don't understand is that hospitals have a lot more leverage over the carriers than brokers do or employers do, and certainly than patients do. And the reason for that is this. I want you to think if, if Kraft Heinz left Aetna, would Aetna's balance sheet even be impacted, even though they're such a large employer? Mm -hmm. There's not one employer in this country that could put a dent in the balance sheet of these large carriers. But if Cleveland Clinic or Mayo Clinic or uh, Johns Hopkins left Aetna's network, then every employer in those markets are going to leave that plan and go to that. I can't have a plan that doesn't let my employees see Cleveland Clinic. So they have to keep the hospitals happy. But think about this dynamic even more. If they allow fraud, waste, and abuse, that means the hospital is getting more money, which is keeping the hospitals happy. There are audit restrictions for this very reason, because they don't want to hassle the hospitals and they don't want to have to ask for money back. But the medical loss ratio for fully insured plans, which are using the same contracts for doctors as the self-funded plans, allow for this to occur and prohibit 
auditing to certain extents. And it does vary by provider by provider, but most provider contracts at hospital levels have audit prohibitions. And for those of you that don't know, your kid's pediatrician has to put more information on a claim form for a strep test than a hospital has to put for a week-long inpatient open-heart surgery. Mm -hmm. So the information they do get is even less than a strep test, and they're typically not allowed to ask for anything more. Right. Our plans don't have those restrictions, as you know. And so we can ask for not only itemized bills, but full clinical notes. And we find 97% of hospital bills have errors. And I'm using my air quotes. I know no one can see me because I think it's so disingenuous to call it an error when it's always in the favor of a provider. If it were truly a random error, then sometimes it would be in favor of the patient. That's a good point. But let me ask you this. What do you think Willis Towers Watson responsibility is or should have been, if at all, in this case? I don't think they had a fiduciary responsibility, but I think that there could be an argument made that they prevented Kraft Heinz from meeting their fiduciary responsibility. But that's a really slippery slope for Heinz Mm -hmm. because then they have to admit they didn't meet their fiduciary responsibility and hope that the courts see it as, well, you couldn't, so we're not going to blame you for not doing it versus they could theoretically get fined because ultimately they are responsible. So I don't know if that was one of the legal challenges that they thought of in, in determining what to charge um, in the in the complaint, but that could possibly be one of them. Also, it sounds to me like Willis Towers Watson is still their broker. I mean, I don't see any indication <laughs> that they fired them. So I don't know for sure, but that's certainly not mentioned anywhere. That doesn't surprise you though, right? Like I, I don't know what it is. You sometimes call it Stockholm syndrome and it, I feel like it it's rampant in every relationship within healthcare, you know, patient to doctor and certainly employer to, to broker. But yeah, I bet they still are their broker. And I bet, you know, what I think happened is I think as soon as they decided to file the lawsuit, Willis probably stood up and said, we're right here with you. We're shoulder to shoulder with you. We got you. But the truth is, I, I mean, ethically speaking, I think they do have some responsibility legally. No, and forcibly, probably not. But I think when you agree to represent these clients, no matter if if they're little, they don't have to be Kraft Heinz. They can be the little guy down the street. But I think when someone trusts you to give them advice and partner them with people that are supposed to be protecting the employees that they're hiring, I think there is a responsibility there, but I don't think they're going to be held to it ultimately. Well, there's an interesting pullout uh, in the complaint um, from the administrative services agreement that was signed on January 1st, 2015 between Kraft and Aetna. And it says, Aetna will discharge their obligations under the services agreement with the level of reasonable care, which a similarly situated service provider or plan administrator under ERISA as applicable would exercise under similar circumstances in connection with fiduciary powers and duties hereunder, as delegated by customer to Aetna and as noted in the claim fiduciary section of the applicable SAS, Aetna shall observe the standard of care and diligence required of a fiduciary under ERISA section 404 AIB. So there, and you don't, oftentimes you see language to the opposite. And I don't know if just because this is dating back eight years, but they're actually saying, I think what they were trying to say is we're not a fiduciary, but we're going to act as one. And mm-hmm. I think I think a lot of courts are going to say, well, if you are acting as one, then you are one. Right. Uh, and if you agree to be held to the same standards of care, then you have to be held to the same standards of punishment <laughs> when it doesn't occur. Um, 
So, but we'll see. I mean, and then I think the other variable besides Kraft's motivation in doing this is what kind of judge and or jury do they get? Mm-hmm. Um, if they wind up just having, a, if they wind up just allowing the judge to decide, which I think is at the discretion of the parties, then I, I think they have a better chance of, of what's really being seen being seen. If it goes to just 12 average Americans, I mm-hmm. think it's going to be very difficult for them to truly understand the depth to which this is hurting the employees of Kraft. And of course, you couldn't have a craft to play on the jury because <laughs> that would mm-hmm. uh, that would be a conflict. But um, but if if the, the if the um, attorneys representing Kraft can can really help the jury understand how this is impacting people just like them because they're usually working class people similar to the ones at Kraft, that could also be a, a big boon. But again, I, I don't trust that the lawyers or the judge or even the people at Kraft really understand. Although I got to say, it's pretty convincing in this in this complaint. You know what I'm going to do? Mm-hmm. I'm going to write to Kraft Heinz and I'm going to convince them to let you give expert testimony before the trial begins <laughs> so the, ju- and- the jurors can understand what the heck is going on in general because you're right I think average Joe who you give them all the information you want but aside from having to decipher your average legal terms there's no way this is going to make sense to the average person or average healthcare consumer but I do want to end with this First, that I believe the only thing that's actually going to happen, maybe because I'm such a pessimist on these topics at this point, I think the only thing that's going to happen is that uh, Kraft Heinz is going to get paid. That's what I think. Um, But it made me think of when we did the analysis on our clients, fraud, waste, and abuse percentages, and we just got that analysis back. And so I want to talk about that really quick as a resource for other consultants in the in the business, because there is a way to figure out if the health plans that you're managing or constructing has a certain amount of fraud, waste, and abuse that you might be able to mitigate. Now, I think it's safe to say, David, you really have to be working in the self-funded market to be able to even audit that, which is why we don't work with carriers, by the way. For anyone who's figuring this out, the reason we don't work with networks and carriers is because we want to be able to control the claims. We want to be able to mitigate diagnoses or prognoses that are coming through on our plan members. But there is a company out there called Slingshot Bills, and it just takes them a few minutes to audit a massive claims file. And I kind of want to brag for a little bit that that we we kind of killed it. You know, I had this theory, and up until recently, it was a theory that a lot of the savings we delivered, you know, a good double digit percent, I would say, uh, was from fraud, waste, and abuse and mm-hmm. or preventing it because our plans don't have any of the restrictions that that the carriers have. Even a self-funded plan is going to get limited data, a fully insured plan, even more limited. And I know when we sent this over to Zoe, she said that at Slingshot Bill, Zoe, she's one of the founders, um, that the the level of data she got was beyond what she's used to getting. So first off, we gave her data that would have allowed her to uncover more fraud, waste, and abuse if it was there as compared to what they typically get. I mean, the carriers intentionally don't want you giving getting the data that allows you to do this. So that was number one. Number two, she said that on average, about 10% of total spend in a plan is fraud, waste, and abuse, which felt a little low to me, but okay. I, I know sometimes I make mm-hmm. fantastic claims about how much we can save an employer as a percentage of their healthcare spend. And it sounds so so big and so undoable that they don't believe me. So sometimes I have to downplay it just for credibility purposes. But our uh, average fraud, waste, and abuse was 0.8% of spend. So uh, an order of magnitude of about 92% better 
or less than the average plan, but it goes a step further. The average quote error in billing results in a $2,000 overpayment per error. Our plan was $180 per error. So we have far fewer errors occurring, 92% less. And the cost of that is what? 90 something percent less than what it costs on average too. So just like we talk about with claims, we want to lower both the severity of claims and the frequency of claims. We lowered the severity of fraud, waste, and abuse and the frequency of fraud, waste, and abuse. Kudos to you, my man. Yeah, you know, our impressive. partners did it. We just gave them the environment in which they could. Thank you for saying that. I think we don't give our plan partners enough uh, credibility. Um, but yeah, we, we've partnered with some fantastic uh, people and organizations in the industry. And I feel like over the last five years that we've had our firm anyway, I know you and I have been doing this a lot longer, but the five years that ePowered has been tackling this, I think we've we've kind of hit a little sweet spot figuring out what works, what doesn't work. And that was really validating. I, um, I'm glad we did it. And so if you are an advisor and you want to know how is my self-funded plan running, uh, go check out Zoe over at Slingshot Bills um, and see if you can do an analysis. You might be surprised pleasantly or otherwise, but I think it's worth it. And I really think we should be doing that anyway. Employers should be running these checks and balances so you don't end up suing Aetna like uh, Kraft Heinz is doing. Yep. Yeah. Don't uh, don't get yourself up in a lawsuit, but sue when, when, when your employees are being taken <laughs> advantage of and that's what they're doing. You're here. All right. Well, thanks for joining me again. On Thank to the you. next. You got it. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. And remember, there's always a hangover with healthcare. Until next time.